0: From Diversion Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio, I'm Gary Myers, and this is the GOAT, Tom Brady. Episode 5, Saving Coach Belichick. Tom Brady saved Bill Belichick's job. Belichick's seat was hotter than a scorching summer day on his boat docked by his vacation home in beautiful Nantucket. The Bluebirds in New England were circling it ready to swoop down, the fire Belichick chant would surely be next. It was September 30th, 2001. Tom Brady was warming up at Foxborough Stadium before the New England Patriots played the Indianapolis Colts in the third game of the season. Belichick was 5 and 11 in his first year with the Patriots. He was off to an 0 2 start in his second season, and veteran quarterback Drew Bledsoe's life, not just his football career, was in jeopardy after he suffered a concussion and a sheared blood vessel in his chest on a vicious but clean hit by Jets linebacker Mo Lewis late in the fourth quarter one week earlier. Bledsoe nearly died in the ambulance on the way to Massachusetts General Hospital. Bledsoe was a star. He guided the Patriots to the Super Bowl five years earlier and was considered the next Dan Marino when he led the NFL in passing yards in just his second season in 1994. He was second team All-Pro in the Super Bowl year and had made the Pro Bowl four times. But now it was all on Brady in the first start of his NFL career. Belichick turned to a kid who had been passed over 198 times in the draft one year earlier. And now he was counting on him to not only save the season, but yes, to literally save his coaching career. From the day the Patriots drafted Brady as the sixth round afterthought in 2000, He was convinced he was gonna take Bledsoe's job sooner rather than later. Brady liked Bledsoe very much and was more or less adopted by Bledsoe and his wife his rookie year. He didn't want to see his friend injured. No player wants to become a starter that way. They want to earn it. But this was his job now and he never intended to give it back. As Brady's receivers were running routes for him during the pregame warmups of his first start, the Colts' fourth-year quarterback wearing number 18 approached with his right hand extended.
1: That was the first time I ever met him. He was on the field before the game, and, you know, I went out there. I was warming up, and he came over, and he said, Hey, Tom, Peyton. And I remember thinking, like, well, like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) It was a very polite thing for him to do, (laughs) especially being on our field. Right. For him to come over, I mean, that really kind of speaks to, you know, his character.
0: I thought Tom's reaction was hilarious. It was the first of 17 Brady versus Manning matchups. And considering I wrote an entire book about how they competed against each other, you're going to hear a lot more later on about the greatest rivalry in NFL history. But this story about the first time they met was just too funny to hold it any longer. We know how the 2001 season ends. Brady led a last minute drive that resulted in Adam Venateri's 48-yard field goal on the final play of Super Bowl 36, and the Patriots shocked the heavily favored Rams 20-17. Belichick made the gutsy move to stick with Brady when Bledsoe was cleared to play in mid-November. Belichick misled Bledsoe by making it seem as if it promised him at least an opportunity to compete to win his job back. He never did. Bledsoe was in his ninth season with the Patriots and had a lot of support from veterans in the locker room. As a result, there was drama in Foxborough. If Brady failed, Belichick could have lost the team. And Len lost his job and likely would never have received a third chance to be a head coach. Failed in Cleveland. Failed in New England. Not good for the resume. There's an unwritten rule in sports that players don't lose their jobs because of injury. Remember, I said it was unwritten. If there was no flexibility, it would have been in some old Vince Lombardi video preserved by NFL Films. I checked. Couldn't find it. Brady was 5-2 as the Patriots' starter when Bledsoe returned to practice before a home game in November against the Rams. Belichick split reps that week, but Brady was the clear choice to start against St. Louis. Bledsoe was injured on September 23rd. This was November 18th. He needed more practice time to shake off the rust. Brady started against the Rams and did not play well and the Patriots lost by a touchdown and their record dropped to five and five. Belichick decided from that point forward, Brady was his starter. He needed all the first team reps to properly prepare and Bledsoe was a $103 million backup. Bledsoe was incensed. Brady has always said how supportive Bledsoe was after Belichick made his decision. But one of my Patriot sources told me, and I'm quoting here, Drew was so disruptive, he thought, this is my time, I can't wait to get back to run my team. But it was Brady's team, it was Brady's time. You can't blame Bledsoe for being angry. He knew his time in New England now had an expiration date. And you can't blame Belichick for sticking with Brady considering the Patriots went on to win their last six regular season games, beat the Raiders in the tuck rule game in the divisional rounds of the playoffs, the Steelers in the AFC championship game with a great relief job by Bledsoe after Brady suffered an ankle injury in the first half, and then Brady pulled out the Super Bowl with the last minute drive. Brady was 11-3 in the regular season and 3-0 in the playoffs. Added up 14-3, a Super Bowl championship, Super Bowl MVP, and one head coach's job saved. I can't tell you how many times I've been asked over the years, Brady or Belichick, who is most responsible for the Patriots' success? You can argue it either way, but here's one thing that can't be argued. When the Patriots won three Super Bowls in Brady's first four years as the starter, Brady and Belichick needed each other. Here's what Brady told me about his relationship with his coach he
1: knows me you know as well as anybody you know I know what he expects of me you know we don't probably talk as much as people may think or he kind of lets trust me to do my job and lets me do my job you know there's times where I get to you know express certain things to him and I think he has a lot of trust in the things that I say and confidence in the things that I say but um He's a great coach. How he prepares our team every week is phenomenal. He's always got his foot on the gas pedal. He never takes it off. And I think there's a real consistency about the way that he coaches that gives the players a lot of comfort that the process is the right way. Because it's not like he's up after a win and down after a loss. Or he'll always come in and say, all right, these are the things we didn't do well. These are the things we got to do better. This is how we're going to improve as a team. These are the things that we need to do to win this
0: game. College coaches get so fired up yelling and screaming before a game, the players are ready to run through a locker room wall for them. That doesn't work in the NFL. It's more about preparation and by Monday morning, forgetting about the result of the day before and moving on. Belichick has often shown movie clips at the Saturday night team meetings to inspire and motivate. But pregame rah-rah speeches? Not his thing. Here's Brady.
1: You know, that's not what it's about. Pro football is about execution. Pro football is about having guys that are committed to the team, being the ultimate professional, to do whatever it takes you know, to help the team win. It's not a rah-rah speech at halftime. It's not a scheme. It's, that stuff comes and goes. But I think why he's been able to endure is because he he has the respect of all the older players because you believe that what he's telling you and teaching you is the right way to do it.
0: We'll be right back with more of the GOAT, Tom Brady, in just a moment. Belichick is a player's coach from the standpoint he knows how to take care of his guys physically and will never criticize a player publicly. Brady found out not all coaches protect their players that way when his new coach in Tampa, Bruce Arians, let it be known publicly He was not impressed with Brady's performance after Tampa lost its 2020 season opener in New Orleans. Belichick's critiques were very different in meetings than they were with the media. He didn't hold back. Things hadn't changed much since early in Brady's career when Belichick condescendingly yelled at Brady in practice that he can find a better quarterback at Foxborough High School. He called him Johnny Foxborough. Who could play better than Brady? Of course that wasn't true, but that was Belichick being Belichick. At practice or in meetings, Belichick gets on everyone, regardless of their status on the team. Brady grew tired of that towards the end of his time in New England. He had won six Super Bowls, but he had enough of Belichick getting on him after a bad throw in practice. As Alan Iverson famously once said, it's practice. We're talking about practice practice but it wasn't all vinegar spewing from belichick listen he had the greatest quarterback in nfl history so he had to say some nice things about him every now and then or else he would lose all credibility in the week leading up to super bowl 52 in minneapolis following the 2017 season belichick said
2: there's no quarterback i'd rather have uh playing for my team than tom Brady.
0: Ten years earlier, prior to the AFC Championship game, here's what Belichick said about Brady. I'm glad Tom's our quarterback. I love Tom. He's a great player and he's been a great leader for us. He does so many things for our football team on and off the field, and he's been a tremendous competitor, tremendous player. He really should have been saying that all the time. But Belichick knew if he could yell at Brady and not get any pushback from the player, then the rest of the 52-man roster would fall in line. Brady likes to be coached hard and is even more competitive than Belichick. It was never a fight over to see who gets the most credit. Belichick doesn't care about that stuff and Brady never carried himself around the team like a celebrity quarterback. It was about being appreciated and Brady had a breaking point. For the longest time, he was the perfect player for Belichick. The best quarterback of all time, who let Belichick use him as an example. Here's Tom Brady Sr.
3: If Belichick had 53 guys named Joe, he would love it. But Tommy had said to me, Belichick has a perfect soldier with me, he said, because very much like Vince Lombardi treats us all the same, he treats us like dogs, in the middle of of the season, middle of November, it's cold and crappy and the weather's lousy and it's Wednesday afternoon and we go out to the field and he said, you know, some days, no matter how much you wanna bring to the table, it don't have everything. You have to really gut it up and dig deep to try and get off the field. So this one particular Wednesday, this is probably maybe five or five years ago. Tommy's been in. You know, they've won a zillion games and big important games, and and they're playing a, a, a weak team. Oh, they're playing the Jets next. So, following said and Belichick. Uh, they record everything, every practice, and Tommy's first practice he, Makes a bad pass. And the first thing that comes up on the board on Thursday morning is if you throw a effing pass like this, it's going to be kicked off and run back for a touchdown. <laughs> You're supposed to be an all pro. So what I'm saying is, Tommy is the perfect foil when Randy Moss comes in and he sees Tommy getting shoot out and not coming back at and accepting it, and 52 other guys fall in line. And if you have somebody doesn't fall in line like that, like a Wes Welker, you're done. You're you're out the door. And so, you wonder, again, Tommy is absolutely a perfect quarterback for Bill Belichick because he understands what Belichick's doing, and he has... Enough pride to know that no
4: matter what Belichick might say to diminish his
3: efforts, it's not going to impact who he is and what he knows
0: he can do. I once asked former Cowboys coach and two-time Super Bowl winner Jimmy Johnson whether he treated all his players the same. He laughed. Not at all, he said. When a backup running back fell asleep in a Cowboys team meeting, Johnson cut him on the spot. True story, but he told me if hypothetically Troy Aikman fell asleep in that same meeting, he would walk over, lightly tap Troy on the shoulder, and whisper in his ear, Troy, Troy, please wake up. Belichick and Johnson are very close friends. They spend time together each summer on Johnson's boat in the Florida Keys before Belichick heads back to training camp. They share many of the same coaching philosophies except one, Belichick treats every player the same, Johnson did not. Obviously, each method works. When there was friction between Johnson and Aikman in their early years together in Dallas, Johnson found out Aikman was intrigued by Johnson's passion for fish tanks. Johnson had seven in his house. To break the ice in their chilly relationship, Johnson went over to Aikman's house to help him get set up with a saltwater fish tank. They bonded over sea clowns. I'm not kidding. But can you imagine Belichick doing that? We're on to sea clowns, Tom. Then we're on to Cincinnati. Not happening. Belichick has a unique ability to keep a safe distance emotionally from his players. Some would call that heartless. But this allows him to make the difficult decisions on players when it comes time to cut them, trade them, or encourage them to retire. By not getting emotionally attached, It permits Belichick to make what he believes are the best decisions for his team. It happened with Richard Seymour, Lawyer Molloy, Ty Law, Logan Mankins, Randy Moss. The list goes on and on, includes some of the Patriots' best players from the last 20 years. Belichick's philosophy has been to get rid of a player a year too soon, rather than a year too late, and then welcome them back into the family when they retire. Brady was supposed to be different he was Tom Brady even if Belichick thought Brady's skill set was in decline after the 2019 season or earlier there was no way he would have had the courage to push him out the door right this was Tom Brady the goat beloved in Boston here's Bill Belichick certainly Tom's
1: Figure in this organization, and nobody respects Tom more than I do.
0: Belichick said that the day after the 2019 season ended with a playoff loss to Tennessee. Ten weeks later, Brady signed with Tampa after Belichick made him a half hearted offer to stay if you must. He wrote a glowing tribute to Brady after he announced he was moving on. Despite being the best coach quarterback combination in NFL history, yes, better than Walsh in Montana and Lombardi in Starr and anybody else you can think of, that did not tug at Belichick's heart and force him to make a decision that he didn't believe was right for his team. Brady was not surprised. He had a strictly working relationship with Belichick for 20 years. He didn't expect all of a sudden that his coach would get all mushy and sentimental. Robert Kraft's deal with Belichick is that he would not interfere with football decisions, even with Brady, who he considered his fifth son. Listen to the conversation I had with Brady a few years ago about Belichick. It's fascinating. Tell me something about him that would lead people to believe he's actually fun to be around. <laughs> well,
1: it has to be in a non-football environment. Right. When it's outside of football, he's, he's a totally different person. As soon as he's in football mode, it's like hitting the switch.
0: Well, how often do you see the non-football
1: mode? So. Me very rarely. Yeah. Very rarely. Did you guys ever go out to dinner? Um. I don't think we ever have. Really? No. No. I think we're around each other so much that whenever we get time, <laughs> you know, nothing ever, nothing ever comes of it. But um.
0: You ever, you ever have a conversation with him like, you know, Jesus, we've really accomplished a lot together.
1: Never. Nope. I mean, he's he's not a look forward or look past right. kind of guy. He doesn't care about any of those things and. There's never really been any moments to do that, and I think that we both, I and mean, I love what we've been able to accomplish, but I think we also, like I don't care what happened last year. I don't care what happened two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, my whole week is going to be predicated on how we do against Carolina. Mm-hmm. It's If it goes well, great, and we'll probably move on to the next one. If it doesn't, that whole week sucks. That's the mental toughness that you need to have. The losses have to motivate you, and the wins can't demotivate you. Right. You have to stay motivated, and, and Coach Belichick does that. He finds different ways to motivate us, you know, every week, and he'll motivate the scout team to give us a good look. I know in practice today he, would, he was trying to get the scout team going, and he'd say, like, you know, Keekly, you know, man, you know, he'd be pumping up the scout team in the linebacker. Right. back. makes all the plays in the pass game. So he'd so, say, you know, you've got to make these plays. And we hit a play on him, and he'd go, well, where's Keekley at? I mean, Kikley should be all over that. You know, so it's just he doesn't miss a beat. You know, he's, he's the ultimate motivator. He's a no-nonsense coach. You know, he just wants guys to come in and do their job, play their butt off, be selfless, you know, because that's what, that's what it takes
0: in the NFL. We'll be back with more of the GOAT, Tom Brady, right after this. Tom's father still holds a grudge against Michigan coach Lloyd Carr because he believes he treated Tom unfairly. Tom Sr. certainly would have appreciated if Belichick was more generous with his public praise of his son, but like Tom, he learned to live with it. Tom Sr. also correctly predicted in the middle of the Super Bowl years that Belichick kept his distance from Tom to make it easier for him when he eventually decided to move on. Here's Tom Brady Sr. 100%
3: professional relationship. And one day in the future, whether it's tomorrow or next year or three years from now, Belichick has to make a decision to cut him or to trade him or to cut cut the cord. Mm -hmm. And Belichick just figures, I don't want to have a perfect personal relationship with somebody. This is a professional deal and as long as it's a professional deal, then this is the way it is. From my knowledge, never into dinner, never to lunch, never. And that's perfectly fine with Tommy because he's got a whole bunch of great friends. He doesn't need to be, uh, I don't want to say it, personal friends with a coach. He's got more personal friends than he, than he needs. He just needs to have the coach head the organization in the right direction.
0: It's not like they avoided each other if they were in the same place away from work. In fact, Brady and Belichick played in the same foursome at the Pebble Beach Pro-Am in 2014. Belichick once told a story to the NFL's Ian Rappaport about that experience, and he talked about being on the sixth hole, he was afraid he was going to lose his quarterback. If you hit your tee shot to the right, there's a cliff that hangs 200 to 300 feet over the Pacific Ocean. Of course, if you watch Brady play in the charity golf match this year with Peyton Manning, Phil Mickelson, and Tiger Woods, you know if anybody was going to hit a wayward shot, it was going to be Tom. Belichick held his breath as his quarterback positioned himself on the cliff to hit his next shot, hoping his quarterback's footwork was as good on the golf course as it is in the pocket. Brady might be under control on the field other than the occasional sideline tantrum, But he's a daredevil off it. He once posted pictures on social media of him diving off a cliff into a waterfall in Costa Rica, holding hands with his then six-year-old daughter. Back to his relationship with Belichick. They became even more distant and icy in their second decade together, despite continuing to win Lombardi trophies. Each of the last three Super Bowl victories in the 2014, 2016, and 2018 seasons, produced a similar scene on the field after the game. The confetti falling from the rafters, and Brady and Belichick hugging like they were best friends. I once asked Robert Kraft how long Brady would be the Patriots' quarterback. For the rest of his career, he said, for as long as he wants, he said, but Tom and Bill had to coexist. After Jimmy G was sent to the 49ers at the trade deadline in 2017, Brady made it to his eighth Super Bowl months later, losing a shootout to the Eagles. The next year, Brady played in his ninth Super Bowl and picked up his sixth championship in a low scoring victory against the Los Angeles Rams. Garoppolo made it to the Super Bowl with the 49ers in 2019. Brady and the Patriots were eliminated in the wild card round. Belichick knew what he had in Garoppolo. It's not like by the end Brady hated Belichick or Belichick hated Brady. They were like an old married couple who grew tired of each other and came to the same decision. It was time to split up. Kraft has four sons, but truly considers Brady his fifth. Kraft showed me a text message from Brady. Tom ended it with, Love ya. Kraft desperately wanted Brady to finish his career in a Patriots uniform. Their breakup doesn't minimize the impact Brady and Belichick had on each other's career and lives. Who knows what would would become of Brady if he was drafted by a bad organization with a clueless head coach. First-round quarterbacks are just 50-50 to have a great career. Odds are overwhelming that a sixth-round quarterback ever has much success brady owes belichick a lot for drafting him and developing him but what would have become of belichick without brady would he have been the goat of coaches no here's what we do know for sure belichick was only 37 and 45 in five years in cleveland with bernie kosar Vernie testaverde and others as the starting quarterback he was 5 and 13 with Bletso before he was injured that's 42-58 and 58 for Belichick, 100 games, a winning percentage of 42%. He was 11-5 and five in 2008 and failed to make the playoffs with backup Matt Castle after Brady tore his ACL in the first game of the season. But that was with a team that was 16-0 and 0 the year before. In Brady's 19 years as the Patriots starter, his record, including the playoffs, was 249 and 75. That's a winning percentage of 76.9%. Phenomenal. Here's something else I do know. Belichick was worried if he didn't get things straightened out in New England after the 0 2 start in 2001, that Kraft would fire him after the season. Belichick's right hand man, Scott Pioli, the team's director of player personnel, shared that fear. If Belichick was fired, Pioli knew he was a goner also. Pioli is Bill Parcells' son-in-law, and considering Kraft's contentious divorce from Parcells in 1997, it shows how much Kraft trusted Belichick they allowed him to bring Pioli with him from the Jets in 2000. Here's a conversation I had with Pioli. I'm going to play it straight through so you can get the full impact at how much Pioli and Belichick felt they needed to win to save their careers in New England. Here's Scott Pioli. Oh, we were in trouble. Really? Second, Me
2: and Bill were in trouble. Second year, were we proud. were. Oh, heck, we started out one and three. I know. Yeah, we were in a lot of trouble. Five and eleven. And again, Bill was toxic at the time. He was coming off of the, again, right, wrong, or indifferent. People didn't care about the truth of how difficult the Cleveland Browns situation was. Right people didn't care okay don't let the facts get in the way of the story they want to be told because bill people wanted to paint bill a certain way and they chose to do that um and he didn't help himself the jets disaster just piled on and he came out of that thing and robert Kraft took a huge chance
0: but you think Kraft was going about th- that early
2: did he want no but you know what I have seen owners do things that they don't really want to do because they're running a business. Hmm. It doesn't mean that they, they sometimes have to make decisions that they don't want to make.
0: Is that something that you and Bill talked about, saying we better get this thing turned around or we could be gone No, after we, no we never. But you sensed
2: it? It was this 600, what do they call it, 600-pound, 800-pound gorilla hmm. sitting in the corner. It's that, you know, you know it's there. So, so Blake- and, they, and they were talking, and there were people after Bill and the people after me. They were after me and Bill.
0: Only one person can make the decision to fire Belichick, and that was Kraft. When I relayed Pioli's concerns, Kraft said he wasn't thinking about that back then. Here's Kraft.
3: I did nothing to I remember when we went, we were one and three, I remember calling Bill and saying, well, you keep doing what you're doing,
0: I believe in you. It's easy for Kraft to say that now, but to pressure on Kraft would have been intense to fire Belichick, had the Patriots gone 5-11 and again. He was opening a new stadium the next year and needed to sell tickets. A coach with back-to-back 5-11 and seasons would not be good to plaster on billboards to attract new customers. Here's Kraft.
3: In the NFL, you really judge the season if you're trying to go at a high level, what happens from Thanksgiving on. So, you know, I learned. I mean, this, it's a sick business. There's no... It's a great business, but it's a sick business. There's no other business like it, the ups and downs.
0: But instead, one of the most violent plays I've ever seen began the Brady era. Bledsoe tried to be a hero and make a late first down instead of running out of bounds two yards short and was hammered by Mo Lewis, and Belichick had what he wanted, the chance to play Brady. Here's Pioli. You never want to see anybody get hurt, obviously. But when Bledsoe got hurt, you think, okay... This gives Bill a chance to play the guy that maybe he really did want to play going into the season? It gave do you... us
2: the chance. Yeah. It was more than just Bill that wanted, that was ready to make that change.
0: How close do you think he came to starting Tom in
2: the first game of that season? There were too many things where we just, we couldn't do it.
0: Even though Belichick wanted Brady over Bledsoe to start the season opener two weeks earlier, the Patriot players didn't know that. They also had no idea what would happen when Brady got into a game. Bletso wasn't producing, but Brady could be even worse. Here's Teddy Bruschi, the Patriots' team leader and linebacker.
4: Oh, well, you know, we just lost our $100 million quarterback and, and the supposed face of the franchise. So, yes, I was, I was very down on the season. Um, I was frustrated with the whole situation. I mean, being zero two to start the season after a, I think five and eleven the year before, I was already getting frustrated with losing. Um, you know, I didn't know the severity of Bledsoe's injury at the time. I remember being frustrated with him, uh, just, just, just tired of losing at that point. And with Brady coming in, really an unknown commodity, but. I mean, he came in, and yes, he had a good training camp and guys liked him, but there are plenty of guys that have good training camps and guys like that remain on the practice squad or just special teams players throughout their careers, you know.
0: That brings me back to Brady's first career start against Peyton Manning and the Colts. There was nothing that Brady did in that game that gave any sign he was going to be the greatest of all time, other than he won. It was the first of his 249 victories with the Patriots. New England won the game 44-13. Brady threw for a pedestrian 168 yards with no touchdowns and no interceptions. Peyton Manning threw for 196 yards, but was brutal. He had one touchdown and three interceptions. Two of his interceptions were returned for touchdowns. Brady was just along for the ride in that game. But his relief appearance late in the game against the Jets one week earlier gave Bruschi hope.
4: You know, even in that the little amount of he played there, you could notice a difference in the quarterback in terms of the ball wasn't staying in Tom's hands very long. He was he was getting it out. I mean, Drew loved to just. I mean, Drew was big stoic quarterback. You know, stand back there, plant his feet. Guys would just fall off him sometimes. He was so big and strong, yeah. and he trusted that to throw the ball. And you know, so. It was just had a different pace to it with Tom, and that was that was refreshing to see. It was it was different to see that you could notice that right away. But the next week versus the Colts, Gary, I mean, that's when I think our defense overshadowed Tom even more. Yeah, I mean, yeah he didn't have. He scored yeah, a lot of points. But he didn't have Cox a great game. He had a huge hit on one of the Colts' receivers. Otis Smith had a, a interception return for a touchdown, and uh, you know a lot of that season. I mean, if Tom's was was really you know, overshadowed by the defense and the special teams in the running game. Antoine Smith, I believe, I think he had a good year too. Our offensive line was good. So we really knew Tom at that point as a quarterback that was good at playing a complementary role.
0: That 2001 Patriots team was the least talented of the six Super Bowl championship teams in the Brady-Belichick era. Brady was a game manager. He was a game-changer, only that he created a spark for a lifeless team with a coach who was fearing for his job. But it was enough to pull off one of the great Super Bowl upsets of all time and forever bought Belichick the benefit of the doubt in New England. Thanks to Tom Brady, the new motto around New England was In Bill We Trust. On the next episode of The GOAT, Tom Brady... We are all Patriots, New England's amazing run to its first Super Bowl championship. I'm Gary Myers, and thanks so much for listening. The GOAT, Tom Brady, is a production of Diversion Podcast in association with iHeartRadio. This season is written and hosted by me, Gary Myers. Executive Producers Scott Waxman and Mark Francis for Diversion Podcast, and Sean Titone for iHeartRadio. Story Editing by Scott Waxman with Editorial Direction from John Tuttle. Editing, Mixing, and Sound Design by Mark Francis. Archival Research by Brianne Murphy. Verna Fields is our Technical Producer, and our Director of Marketing and Business Development is Jacob Bronstein. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum at UTA. Find Diversion on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Diversion Pods, and let us know what do you think of the show. Send us your questions, your comments, and even your critiques. That's Diversion Pods on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
4: Podcasts.